Blog Talk Radio. All right. All right, yeah. Uh, You guys want to start the show? Let's start the show. Welcome to Saturday Morning Serial. Hey, hey, it's me, Dan Shay. I'm joining you as your host, your guide, and I want you to know you're welcome. Uh, joining me today is Johnny Heck. Johnny, sound off. Heyo. And you might notice there's no marquee today, everybody. He sends his apologies. He wishes he was here. He still loves you. Don't worry. He'll be back. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We tried to find another way, but he will be back. Yeah. Uh, we locked the doors, but uh, <laughs> I think he knows, you know, knows yep. how to, he knows yep. how to get in. He's a smart yeah. guy. Uh, anyway, listen. Hey, listeners, listeners, do what you're good at. Listen to me here. I think you know how this show works. I think you're savvy enough. You've picked up on it, okay? You know we talk about pop culture. We talk about its roots in our childhood. We're a part of it. And to illustrate that, what we do quite often is talk to uh, like a a lot of movies that are just coming out, movies that are more under the radar. Yeah, kind of your more independent ones. ones, uh, And I love talking to guys and and girls who make these, uh, who are, you know, the writers, directors of these smaller, like horror, suspense, sci-fi, just awesome little movies that a studio wouldn't go near. And 15, 20, 30 years ago, you would not have a chance of seeing at all. No, but not at all. But now they're coming out so fast that we're talking to them like every week. Somebody somebody just wants to let people know that they've got a movie coming out, and they're not saying like, hey, this is the new Miramax movie. This is the new Paramount or whatever studios are still out there aside from Marvel. Yeah, these are little, no-budget, micro-budget uh, films, uh, passion projects that people are doing on their own. and um, That actually aren't bad, too. No, I mean, there's enough technology out there. It's affordable enough, and people know what they're doing to a degree, that you can do micro-budget. And that's a real thing, micro-budget. Micro-budget, which we just learned about yeah. um, in, in uh, one of the interviews coming up. and. It's uh, it's really interesting. Also, you know, they use crowdfunding, crowdsourcing, letting the fans and our listeners, you and I, throw money at it to say, hey, I like this concept. I like this idea. I want to see more of it so we get to dictate what's next. Yeah, it makes the fans the studio, but uh, but without moguls, which I'm sure has its... Uh it's good points and it's bad points sure. if you're going to use this system because sometimes you don't meet your goal. 
Right. And it could be disheartening. And, and, and sometimes you need, you need that mogul with the, you know, the cigar and the comb over. It's like, this picture's yeah. never going to be made, kid. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's uh, once in a while those guys could help. But no, it, it, but these individuals we're talking to, all these little little lines we have uh, of communication and talking about these projects in their different stages, you could see how passionate they are. They still have that, you know, zest for it. And uh, it, it really comes out in, yeah. in the way they talk about it. They want, they, there's so much passion. They, these are the people to make movies. And there are so many of them, it turns out. The studios can't service them. And certainly you're not going to gamble a hundred plus million dollars on every half decent idea that comes to you. And right. studios, as much shit as we talk about them, I understand they play it safe with remakes and sequels, and they need the best chance of at least breaking even. Yeah, it's, when you're talking and about hundreds of millions lose of dollars, probably more money than they make over time. If you look at, well, I mean, not grand total, but they go into so many projects that they're right at the outset, they're like, well, we'll be lucky if we don't lose $20 million on this, but we're going to do it anyway. Right. Yeah. They'll spend 300 million to make because 400 million in talent or whatever reasoning right. they have, but that's a totally different game. And it's become so big since, you know, I think it was like Terminator two when I was growing up was famous for being the first movie to cost a hundred million dollars to make, which was yeah, that was bananas. Now you almost need that much to make your Avengers, your Star Wars. I mean, yeah, James twice, Cameron has tripled that in Easily. the second half of his career. Yeah, and his films like Avatar. How much money did that cost? But now we're talking yeah. to cats that are spending a couple grand, and they're people like you and I who don't have a really a couple yeah. grand saved up. They have families. Yeah. James have Cameron. Jobs. If you call the numbers in James Cameron's phone and, and just say you're selling Girl Scout cookies, you could probably raise a million five. Right. And, yeah, you're not going to find our Whereas numbers in James these, Cameron's phone. These people who are making uh, you know, these smaller films who have a chance to, to actually, no bullshit, actually pull it off, even though it's still a bit of a gamble, nowhere near what it was back in the you know, 90s indie scene. They could actually pull off getting a movie out there, and it'll never, it'll never say never, but it probably will not make them four hundred million dollars domestically. Of course, yeah, they're not going to retire. That off that, a lot of it. that area is still reserved for the studios, which is why they have to play a little safer. So I'm glad that there now exists this new category, and Hollywood. Doesn't seem to be too nervous about it, I think, and I'm glad they're not because I think it it's not detracting from them. No, it's, but it's, it's giving us more choice, and it's getting so many, so much more exposure for talent, and it's helping them. I mean, even if you look at like, you know, we've had a lot of conversation about Ryan Reynolds and Deadpool, how he had to go out and the director had to film a little uh, proof of concept for Deadpool, and then yeah. he made a ton of cash. And these are in the studio these are people. Do it. This is like an A-lister right. in Hollywood having to employ these kind of guerrilla tactics mm -hmm. that are now becoming kind of commonplace. So, without further ado, one thing that we do here on the show is not just do we talk to people who have just finished one of these movies and they're launching it off the off the ground and they need our our help. But every now and then we get to talk to the prototypes. Yes. The, when, when people are just putting together the idea and they want some exposure then, 
that's when we get to talk to them and we start to explore. And we've got a few of those projects. We've got a couple of them. Hey, we're helping, we're helping push the car right up the hill, yep. you know, and we'll, we'll get behind but, it and... They're, they're, they're out in the greenhouse, the... still germinating like nobility. We nobility. watched that thing grow up over the years. Mm-hmm. It, it's at a stage now where it's just – it's you you cannot know how long it will take. Now that they've got the pilot, something to shop around, like something tangible, uh, how long it will take till it goes to its next phase. It's in a cocoon for who knows how long. It could take years. I mean, these uh, – so we'll, it's not we'll going to happen tomorrow. keep checking up on them. Keep checking in. Space keep... Command. Pretty sure that one just never blossomed. That was that was about three four years ago. Right. Uh, so and I don't think it did come to fruition. A shame. Uh, there was one, and we'll 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 talk about it a little bit later in the show. But Bradley Weatherholt's the prequel Strike Back. That was one a couple of years ago. We talked to well. He was still trying to get it funded. It came out recently. We just watched Boiler it. Alert. Yeah, we the, just saw it. The gang talked to him it. again. Mm-hmm. So that's a success story. Uh, but first, let's talk about uh, Scott Frizzell, a guy I happen to know through another guy I happen to know, friend of a friend. You know a guy. Who is a guy? Word comes back to me. He works in the industry, uh, and, and you know he he does like he's a he's an assistant director in some movies, does some commercials and stuff. I believe he's been working in Hollywood for a number of years, but he does have an idea for a movie. And he's committed enough to it to have hired some people uh, to film basically a trailer as a proof of concept. Mm, a little sizzle reel. And he's got like the story. Per- perhaps he's got the whole script. I didn't get into quite the details of what he's prepared for the movie. But he is shopping it around. He went to go crowdfund it. As we were talking about, an incredible new resource for filmmakers. They didn't make their goal, but they did get some money using nothing more than this trailer, this 90-second thing, which he had filmed. And it looked like an actual trailer. just so happens there's no movie behind it yet. Right. And the more money they make on this concept, kind they're of reinvesting. The they do it. Right. Yeah. So we're going to get – we'll show you this proof of concept, make some more money, raise some more money, put it right back in, yep. fix those visual effects, film some more, and keep it going. And, and they had an snowballs. idea, some goal of what they could do. Uh, to to get to the next level with it, they fell short. Uh, but there's a twist. I I shouldn't even spoil it. And this is part of the reason we want to do this show. Get him a little bit of exposure. We would like to see him do more so we can keep up with him. So we can watch this process. Yeah, get the word out. Uh, he's got the tools. He's got the talent, as they say. And we want to get the word out. We want to back these type of projects. And, and just go on the journey. We are taking your hands, listeners, and taking you on this journey with these type of films. Because come with us. Get in the van. Come on. We got some candy. We got some comfy seats. Let's hit the road. <laughs> but anyway, that's <laughs> it. Is really tough to segue from there. But watch me. Watch me do it. This is what and they call podcasting magic. Magic interview machine. Bring me to Scott Frizzell and Moggy Creatures. Thank you for joining us. This is Dan Grimshay, and I'm talking to Scott Frizzell, uh, who is basically right at home in our little world here. And uh, we're going to get into Moggy Creatures and what's going on with that. But first, I want to do a little background. And why don't you quickly tell us about your uh, career up to this point, Scott? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's, that's kind of a long one, but I'll give you the high points. Um, <laughs> I've been here 
in the entertainment industry for a little over 10 years now. Uh, I, I moved to Hollywood after I sold my first script, and I worked a little bit in writing. Uh, I still still write a little bit, but I've not been able to make that be my number one way of making a living here. Um, I've been an assistant director for about four or five years, which sort of means like being a supervisor on set, which was wonderful because it gave me the opportunity to see how movies are made at all budget levels. And then after a bit of time doing that, I moved into props and special effects. And I had a background in working with my hands and working in machinery and industrial settings long before I went to school. So it kind of worked out. Let me put my imagination together with different things. And after working on a lot of movies and then commercials, I've started focusing on trying to get Moggy Creatures off the ground. And it started by building those first uh, couple monsters you see in the trailer. Well, let me ask you, was Moggy Creatures, by, I'm, I'm guessing not, because my murky understanding of, of entertainment probably would preclude this, but was Moggy Creatures the script that you sold so many years ago to get your door, your, your foot in the door there? No, not at all. The, the script that I sold so many years ago ended up being uh, changed quite a bit and ended up being a vignette in the uh, somewhat ill-fated Creepshow Part 3. Hey. Which was, released, which was released in 2006, I think. Maybe not the best of the creep shows, but you got your first script made. Well, I think that's Let me tell you, man, it was, it was extremely exciting to uh, sell the first script I ever submitted. Um, oh, that was your first try as well. That was, that was my first try out of school, really. It's um, kind of a lark. I just uh, uh, A guy that I knew that worked in animation called me up one day and said, hey, you know, the, the offices across the way from me here are actually building, doing up another Creepshow film, and they're taking over submissions. You ought to throw something in. So I put something up and put it in the mail and uh, email, actually, at that time. And I got a response just a few days later. And so a couple meetings happened. And I, you know, that's how it all started. And look, look at that. I mean, I, I've given up on my dreams so many times, and you make it sound <laughs> embarrassingly easy. You know what? And as somebody who would uh, almost kill to be able to be working uh, regularly just as a writer, when I hear the same story repeated to me from in, you know any of the hundreds of people I meet up here, I feel the same way. It just sounds, <laughs> you know, you think to yourself, oh, man, it was so easy for that guy or so easy for that gal. But in reality, it all kind of starts the same for everybody. You know, you just you make one connection, you start talking, and it opens the door for you. Okay. I guess well, to take a little shine off it, I guess I guess that script bought you the opportunity to work for lots of other people and to know the business that you thought you'd already conquered. So exactly. could have been exactly. worse, could have been better. Uh, <laughs> but but as you said now now we will jump ahead now to Moggy Creatures. You've been in the business for ten years, uh and this is this is your baby that then yes, you sir. have decided to to I'm not even quite sure what the proper term is. Crowdfunding <laughs> is is a popular term, but I know yep. we talk to so many independent filmmakers here on the show. I know it's usually mm -hmm. piecemealed. You get a couple of investors, some crowdfunding, some parents and parents' friends' money. <laughs> so you you do know some things about the best. <laughs> um, yeah, well, actually. Um, uh, I tried. I went the crowdfunding route uh, just in in uh, February, and it did not work out so well for me. But it was actually my first attempt at trying to get some attention for the project. Um, like you're, you're right. It's often piecemealed together. Uh, if you're if you're unknown as a director or a producer, it can be kind of difficult to find somebody 
excited about your idea, no matter how much they like your idea, you know? Uh, so I was, I, I contributed to a fair amount of Indiegogo and Kickstarter campaigns for what we call, you know, micro budget horror films, things that range anywhere from 20 to $200,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I just, you know, I, I, I'm a sucker for that, uh, you know, for that, that draw. I just, I, I see guys going out there and trying to make something happen on their own. Like, you know, I kick in 25, 50 bucks whenever I can. And well, I like then, to see then you assume your things. karma was built up enough. Boom, you got this locked down. It's going to be just like the first <laughs> creep show script. One try, you're knocking it out of the park. <laughs> uh, you know what? Actually, it was it was more like a it was more akin to just really just a shot in the dark. I uh, I didn't have any direct experience in crowdfunding, and I thought that if I could secure like the first piecemeal on my own it would make it easier to approach some of the working producers I've done things with before and say, look, I've got some start money. I've already produced some things on this, this, and this. You know, this project is more than ready to go, but I need somebody with a little more traction to really take it, help it take off. And, uh, you know, it's uh, there's a okay, lot of avenues. like you actually put out. the right amount of thought into it then. You know what you were doing. Yeah, I did. I did some research. I did months of research. I did months of preparation. But uh, at the end of the day, it's. I actually find crowdfunding to be more difficult than making the movie itself. <laughs> so that's a whole new skill set you have to learn. And I, I picked up quite a bit, and I was very fortunate that uh, throughout the process, a lot of people came to me and explained some things I was doing right and I was doing wrong, and expressed interest in working with the project again or with me if I just, if I attempted a crowdfund again because some quote unquote experts, you know, independently came to me and said, "Hey, we've been tracking what's been going on." And, you know, we're sorry. It's not going great, but, you know, here's what we could do if you wanted to try again. So Okay, so, so, I have so a, you know, bare minimum, yeah. you got attention out of the crowdfunding effort. I sure think so. I mean, uh, I did get a, I did a, uh, a cruel list of people to a newsletter that was, you know, not, maybe not so substantial, but uh, really uh, ardent, vehement fans. You know, they're just people that call, will be writing me constantly asking what's going on and when can I see this how can I help? And, you know, unfortunately, most of the time you can only say, well, you can send money. And most people <laughs> right now seems like they don't really have that as an option. But, <laughs> and we picked up quite a following on Twitter. I've got some, I've got some fans following me on Twitter right now that, that have hundreds of thousands of followers. So, no. yeah, I think, I think it, it's a first attempt. I, you know, a lot of people go different routes to get their movie started. I kind of was a complete unknown. I just said, I'm going to, you know, run this up the flagpole, see what happens. I did get a fair amount of attention, you know, which actually brought a lot more work to it. Um, you know, but so, so yeah, I think we're in a good position to start going some more traditional routes now that I'm armed with some knowledge and some experience. Yeah, which is good. I mean, if, if you hadn't done the first uh, uh, round at uh, Indiegogo, then you wouldn't have been getting calls from, we, we've still apparently got them in air quotes, experts. Yes. Helping to <laughs> encourage you to go forward. And perhaps this next round, you'll get some non-air quote experts, if nothing else. Uh, but there's well now tell how bad could it have gone? I mean, surely you didn't lose money on the crowdfunding uh, uh, venture, or did you? Right. Uh, I, no, no, I, I didn't. Well, that's kind of a fair question. Um, I invested in some aspects. Uh, you know, there's some infrastructure. I had I picked up a couple of software packages to help me manage. Uh, you know, different outreach. Uh, you know, so I don't. I really I think it's about a break-even proposition. Um, but 
again, I gained so much knowledge and experience. I am much better armed. And it, and it, and it bleeds over in other parts of the industry, too. You know, you realize some producers find things like, uh, you know, Twitter following be very important. Some don't care at all. Uh, I actually had a few actors uh, start following my features and, and direct message me and ask some questions about it. So, you know, I, I, I you know, in actual dollar figures, well, I, I sure would have liked to have done a lot better, but overall, I think it worked out pretty good. Okay, good. So, so you're 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 at least get your head on right about this, I think. And if you didn't stumble ass backwards into a million dollars of other people's money, you, you're still moving forward. You've got momentum, and then this is this is the part that that I love when uh, when when I had heard that you had moved into this phase and the crowdfunding hadn't worked out, but then. You're on board for essentially like a Clive Barker horror scholarship. Yeah, I want to hear uh, about this because it seems like you know one door closes, another one opens. Tell me about the Clive Barker thing. Yeah, um, well, it's funny. I hadn't heard about it, but while I was doing the crowdfunding, that's when I, people started emailing me the link that Project Greenlight is now teaming up with Clive Barker, and he personally is going to kick in three hundred thousand dollars in a competition to select a, a new horror film to produce. And one of the only caveats is that that, that is the budget, $300,000, which, you know, isn't a lot of money in making a, a professional film. No. And uh, it would be a little bit challenging on my end because I have a practical effects-based creature feature. You know, it's, it's a horror film, but there's monsters running about, right? The Moggies are, there's a bunch of Moggies, and they, they have a fair amount of screen time. So that would eat into that budget pretty quickly if not under control so it sort of forces me to, to make an even more succinct version of the film that i wanted to do which was you know very contained anyways because i didn't i didn't want to go out and try to make a movie that i, I thought would cost 10 million dollars to get started because that's you're, you're gonna have a hard time con- yeah you're gonna have a hard time convincing anybody that you know your your thing is that awesome if they don't if they're not blown away by it instantly you know and i am actually trying to go for a bit of a niche film here, right? I'm doing a, an old-school practical effects creature feature. I think there's a, a good demand for that, but it's certainly not the same as, you know, maybe doing another paranormal activity kind of film. Or There's a, there's a huge following of found footage films out there. You know, yeah, so. well, you know, it's economically, a little bit easier it's hard to argue that, you know. Right. A couple of exactly. quarters, some amateur actors, you don't even need mm. high-fidelity cameras or anything. It's... And I understand, but I, I, for one, would like to speak for the audience to uh, the production community at large. We're getting a little tired of it. <laughs> We're suffering some found footage fatigue and have been for about 15 years. And this was Agreed. And, th- and this was before indie movies were really a thing. I think they were around in the 90s, but indie movies were you know, still $4 million, and you more, more often than not knew the actors in them. But but nowadays, now with the crowdfunding, I mean, the stuff that you're doing, I'm not not guerrilla filmmaking, but certainly a few steps down from independent studio filmmaking. It's, yes. I mean, I I feel like 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 guys like you are are creating this new way to make movies. Uh, and earlier you mentioned that uh, the especially independent horror movies are are hurting because DVD sales are down across the board. The the reality is they're probably not going to recover. So, 
you know, yeah. the next step is how do you figure out how how can you stream your own movies to a wide uh, audience so that you don't have to sell directly to Netflix or something like that? I feel mm-hmm. like there there have got to be solutions out there, and over time enough people will try and fail that we will see what they are. Do you have any take on what we what how the industry has to change? For the audience to get what they want, and for the creators to get what they deserve. Yeah, I think there's a, there's two key elements here. Um, I think the big one that's that's hurting the film business in general. When I say the business, I mean all the people that work in the film business. Uh, living here in Los Angeles the last ten years, I've I've managed to meet a lot of people and see what their uh, salary ranges are like, and. If you're, it seems like right now the only place to have a quote-unquote good job is working in a large studio system where you're basically kind of you know a, a peg on the cog or right? a cog on the wheel, and it's uh, it's hard to be in a creative position and do anything different. Um, everything below that are people who are independent contractors going from project to project, and they are struggling because the word about horror films are. Uh, they're only good to a producer's eye if they're cheap to make. Mm. And that that number for what is cheap continues to plummet as, as right on the same path as DVD sales. Oh. You know? And it's and we're not gonna we're not gonna encourage a whole lot more independent filmmakers if uh you know, if we're gonna keep telling them you need to be fresh, you need to be new, you need to shock the world. And I want you to work for the equivalent of $7 an hour, mm-hmm. you know? And by the way, when you work for your $7 an hour and you put your, your blood, sweat, and tears into this thing, when it's done, one of these larger entities will come along, take it, go out, promote it, make money from the promotion, and you'll be left with your $7 an hour. It's, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely brutal, but I mean, people who are creative or artists have been dealing with this as independent contractors since the beginning of time. Uh, the business side of things always knows how to take advantage and continues to push that number as hard as possible. Um, just I've, I've been working in uh, effects and special, specialty gags for commercials for the last four or five years. It's been a big part of uh, my, my work. And I've seen the budgets on commercials just come down. And they were sort of like the last. Those were the last projects that, you know, were well-funded to make it worth everybody going in and working their 14 hours a day and, you know, pushing hard to get things done. And now those have become a, have become a you know, a budgetary concern first. Everything works on the budget more than ever. Creativity is being made second. So, so we're going to have to find a way to get people compensated, right? And, and the smart way of doing that is not to keep trying to do things cheaper. Yeah, I mean, yeah, any, it sounds like eventually you know, the budget hits zero and no one is making their commercials for them. Right. There's got right. to be a solution before it gets to that. But are are they really even looking? I mean, it seemed like they were for a while there, at least for, like, television with Netflix and Hulu about, I don't know, about 10 years ago when, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the studios kind of stood up and said, all right, we've got to do something. We've got to think of something. They did this, and now I'm not sure if I'm seeing any change. Well, you know, it's uh, it's tough. Um, you know, things like Amazon, uh, you know, they, they offer that direct-to-market kind of distribution. It's wonderful. And you hear a lot about how uh, independent authors, for instance, uh, suddenly break out and make millions on Amazon. And it does happen. 
But like everything else, uh, because people are jumping in there more and more, you know, you become just a drop in the bucket. So that's that's where the promotion side of things is uh, is, is your real advantage as a filmmaker. You know, like uh, there's I've heard plenty of instances where people made movies for very low budgets, and someone comes along and says, "Wow, like I could spend three times as much as as the budget of your movie to just do a proper commercial campaign," and they do, and then suddenly the movie's a, a, a breakaway hit in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I think this, the second part of getting people, the, the, the two issues here is getting people paid is we've got to find a way to get people to the customers. And it's, this, is, this is exactly the issue I faced with uh, the crowdfunding campaign. I talked with some people that said, I can guarantee that a, a million different people will look at your campaign throughout the course of it, right? And the conversion rate theory being 1% of those people will make a donation. It'd be far more effective to have one-tenth of that number be absolute horror fans that want to see new films, have them look at it, and, make, and all of them make a donation of some sort. It would be far more efficient to do that. So that's what you're talking about when you're on Amazon and then, or, or you're on Netflix or any of these you know, different services. Um, you know, you're, you're trying to get yourself seen. You know, and that's why they talk about YouTube channels um, the way people make money on YouTube is they continue to pump out more and more videos so that, so that as they have more content, somebody clicks on and says, oh, I like this guy's work. Oh, look, he's got six, seven, eight, fifteen, twenty 15, 20 more videos I can look at and continues to look at those things. So it's a, it's a, it's a growth over time thing on YouTube that at some point reaches a breaking point and you take off. But as far as for, for making films, I've seen some things change. Like uh, we have... Um, there's independent sites coming up all the time. I think if you, know, if you watch Shudder, Shudder is a great uh, horror fan uh, website because they very selectively go through and pick through a lot of really good, a lot of films to give you a, a slate of ones that are winners. I think the last time I looked at my Shudder uh, menu, I realized, you know, I'd seen quite a few of these films in the past. However, the, you know, they were all good, and so these other this other percentage of them that are that I haven't seen, I'm going to have to assume these are pretty good too because they seem to have great taste. Yeah. You know, they they they're they, if you judge them by their company, they must be the other good films you got to watch. And essentially, Shutter has just sort of cut out a lot of, uh, to put it nicely, a lot of opportunities that you could have had mm-hmm. to try something new, but it saves you time. And it seems like if you keep following that model, though, then eventually you're just dealing with one giant consortium of fans who decide the funding, i.e. a studio, and mm-hmm. uh, and you're just dealing with less and less choice because they funneled all their resources into what they think you're going to like. And then it kind of gets us back to where we were. So, so the happy median in between uh, everybody and their brother – asking for money to put together what may or may not be a half-decent project or the studio deciding this is what's cheap and what has worked in the past, this is what we're going to do in perpetuity. Uh, mm-hmm. are, are we around that happy median now, or what, what more has to be chiseled? Um, I think if we can work with the model that's kind of out there putting out movies now, you know, video on demand, I think there's probably about – 60 or 70 different platforms. We think about Xbox network and 
through your cable provider and all that stuff. I think cool. video on demand has to do a better job for, you know, and, and not just for us, but for themselves, right? Yeah. They have to do a better job of letting you know where you can see what kind of movies. Because I know there's a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of films that show up in places they shouldn't, shouldn't show up and they don't get any attention. And, uh, mm. I think uh, a film that I produced back in 2013 that was released, uh, titled House of Bad, is a is a micro budget film that has very good execution. Um, there are some weaknesses to it, but it was an experiment amongst uh, my my group here. We wanted to see what can we produce a film for that we could afford to do in a short amount of time, and just what's what's the quality we can get to. And, you know, and we were pleasantly surprised where we succeeded. House of Bad is, uh, it's billed as a horror slash thriller. It's kind of not really that sort of film. It's actually a, uh, it's sort of a movie about three girls who end up kind of end up being badass girls to, to defend themselves. I, I think, I think if there was a Hallmark Extreme channel, <laughs> it should have gone, <laughs> it should have gone directly there where it would have been appreciated. You know, the demographics, uh, Indicate, ah, uh, the viewers who like your film tend to tend to live over here. Um, you know, at the time I was brand new to the distribution game, I had no idea how to try to get a hold of them and have a meaningful conversation, saying, "Look, <clears throat> this is something you could run from midnight to 4 a.m. You know, every every night of the week, and your and your audience is going to filter and find it." You know, um, so I think that that's kind of where we're at. Shutter's like a, a step in the right direction, but you're right about sort of the filtering. Um, they're, they're also, I mean, I've heard, I hear all kinds of crazy things. Like there's a, there's a couple of different short film channels, and that's, I think that's amazing because there, I've seen so many short films that were just great, but I had to see them at a festival, you know, or I saw them from a producer's side where I was working with a buddy. He said, oh, look at this other thing you just did, you know, and, there needs to be there needs to be an avenue for people to see that, right? Yeah. And then the same thing the same thing goes with, you know, micro budget splatter films. There needs to be the same thing for you know independent creature features. Uh, there needs to be the same thing for for all these different subgenres. Uh, I'm not sure how you put those together in a way that lets people know it's safe to go in and try something. Yeah. You know and, I mean? and also, at some point down the road, whoever's in charge of those, how do they not end up being essentially studio kingpins all over again? And then the whole system is, re- uh, yeah, it's again, how do we get the audience what they want and make it easier for them? And how do we get the creators uh, everything they deserve for the work they do? Mm-hmm. And, and it, it is maddening. I feel like we are kind of getting closer to it with, you know, the Internet, mm-hmm. of course, changed everything. It was more or less on autopilot yes. since the since the 40s, till sometime in mm-hmm. the 90s, and now now they're having to to face the music. I think is it is it, a better time for the audience. We do have to work a little harder at finding what we want. The options are are almost intimidating, uh, but then again, the studios are still the ones with the power, and they're the ones who are I think holding back the fervor that. That, that is going to create a new organic system, which I think mm-hmm. is still happening regardless. But, you know, it's it's people like you who are in between, who obviously just talking to you, it comes out that you would be doing this no matter how the system worked. 
well, listen, let's let's focus again on how can we, the audience, help you, Scott Frizzell, and Moggy Creatures. Uh, I know. Oh, lovely. Go check out the the the. You can see the trailer and get all the info at moggycreatures dot com. Uh, not even like dot org or dot 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 Estonia or anything, people. This is a really right. legitimate thing. <laughs> I went full boat when it came time to register my website. <laughs> See, you know now how to play the game. Yeah. Hey, look, anybody, anybody listening right now, I would encourage you to go check out the trailer. And if you like it, if you think this is the kind of movie you want to see made, um, the best thing you can do is just keep sharing this with people. And we can just keep creating an awareness. And at, at some point, if I go to crowdfund again or we do a podcast, say it's this one, and suddenly it registers a pretty big blip on someone's radar, you know, that's that's all we need. We just need that little shove to get it going. Uh, well, I'm hoping yeah, the, this uh, helps then. I really do. Uh, and and if, and if uh, you do go into another round of crowdfunding, please come back to us so we can get word out. Or if nothing else, just let me know. So I'll, I'll scream it in anyone's ear who's listening to this. Uh, but in the meantime, is there any way we can all help you with the uh, Clyde Barker green light possibility? Yes, I believe the way this is going to work is we're going to we're just we are submitting our pitch video, and a certain number of them are going to be ju- are going to be uh, judged as uh, competitive online. And then you, whether you watch the show through the cable channel or whether you go online to check things out there's going to be an audience voting stage. So if, if you think this is a great, if, if we make it that far, and I think this is going to be solely up to the people at Project Greenlight for this, for this first wave to weed things out. Mm-hmm. But if we, if we get to the point where audiences get to vote on it, that'd be the time to tell all your friends, hey, there's a movie we could get it made if you just, if you just call in or, or write in with an email and say, that is awesome, I want to see it. So it's it, just like crowdfunding, but it doesn't cost the crowd a dime. It cannot get better than that for us people. Right, you're right. And, let's, I, and I believe the online voting uh, portion starts happening uh, almost a month from now. I think the, the cutoff, so the cutoff for submissions is, yeah, is the 17th of this month, and then, mid, and then 17th or 18th of April, they're going to they're put them up online. Everyone can see them. Okay, well, there you go, everybody. You heard it first. Uh, Don't blindly go into this. It's okay to have a little discretion as an audience member, but I bet you're going to like it, and you can prove it to yourself if you go over to MoggyCreatures.com, check out the trailer, might even have the new uh, uh, improved trailer up before the voting starts mid-April. You can count on my vote. And I will you, force I a couple it. other people to do it as well. But if we can get all of you out there involved, this is the kind of grassroots action that will shape the new entertainment model for generations to come and shape it audience-friendly. So this is not just one little project for one guy. This all matters. That, that's my point. And, and I want to thank you, Scott, for doing the heavy lifting on something like this. Well, thank you, Dan. Um, and and I, I tend to agree with what you're saying there. It's uh, When we all actively participate, even by clicking a like button on Facebook. I mean, there, there are people everywhere. There are digital bean counters who are watching this stuff, and they are, they are going through and letting the people who are going to cut checks know what we're all interested in. So there's, even viewing, viewing a page a few times makes a difference. So please, if you're interested, go check it out and know that you're helping yourself you know, by doing so. 
That's right. We're making the world a better place, at least so far as independent movies. And that seems like a hell of a place to start. It's not a bad place at all. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for talking with us, Scott. Uh, we do wish you good luck. All right, Dan. I won't take up any more of your time, but thanks for letting me ramble about my thoughts on the biz and all that. I Oh, no, no, that's exactly what I wanted you to do, and you did not disappoint. And this is, you know, I, I especially, I love when I get to talk to people like you who are in this position, who are watching the industry change, uh, and, and you refuse to leave the industry. It, it gives me hope as an audience member. So I, I really want to thank you for calling us. All right, man. Well, uh, if I get any significant changes in what's happening, I'll, I'll call you back if you do some more. All right, perfect. Anybody who rem- anybody remember Creep Show? Absolutely, I cringe. Hell yeah, I cringe the, the, at Weird Kids and uh, <laughs> Creep Show all the time. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying not to laugh in the of Weird Kids. But the uh, like uh, uh, though you listeners couldn't see it. There's a part there where they show all the all the cockroaches like coming out of the drain. I remember that being that's a pretty thick scar. On my childhood psyche, I could close There's, my eyes and see that easily. It, yeah. That was brutal. Yeah, that's uh, so. That's anyway. Creep show was uh, Creep show three. A couple of years later, back in two thousand six, I think it was. Uh, that is where Scott Frizzell got his start in Hollywood, and now he's doing his own thing. Uh, so anyway, that's a peek at our new. Uh, germinating incubator uh, indie movie. We're keeping an eye on it for you, the listener, so, to see how it goes. Yeah, and uh, actually some updates to that because uh, that, that interview that uh, we just had took place a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, you got a text. But in the meantime, recently. yeah, I just heard uh, from him. He sent me an email. They've got some behind-the-scenes uh, footage up on YouTube about the the money that they did get out of Indiegogo, those uh, those special effects, those practical special effects. Practical effects, yeah. The behind the, the, the scenes. hard to do but relatively cheap compared to CGI kind right. of stuff, which really, I think, does help with a movie. But they got enough money to do some of those and that you can go find the uh, uh, links to it. You can go see the, the trailer 
where it's up at right now, moggycreatures.com. Luckily, they were able to snatch that (laughs) domain (laughs) name up. They they beat me by a few days. But, yeah, and also you can check out, uh, you know, maddiepradio.com. We'll post some links on there, too. Oh, I love it. They need... A lot of exposure, especially if they get into the uh, the final round of the Clyde Barker kind of scholarship that right. we were talking about. Uh, or beyond that, I mean, the possibilities, hopefully, at this point are endless. So much could happen. But what he's now doing now. now, yeah, like, you know, he's he's about to finish these, uh, these practical special effects sequences with the extra money, make that trailer even better. And you can find that whenever it comes out, just the same links that we're using at MattyPRadio.com. Yeah, it, it's all on there. And the behind-the-scenes thing, we were looking at it tonight. It looks cool. Again, practical effects. You get a little uh, taste of what it's like to make this film. And, and these guys are doing it themselves again. Yeah, this type of unique peek at it. not to go broke in the process. Like if you just had a, a hobby and you were pumping some money into it, that's about what they can afford to do. So they go to Indiegogo, and now they've got, uh, like, actual, like, really good-looking, practical, like a like a pneumatically controlled stunt killer. Yeah, the hairless killer cat. cat. Yeah. It looks cool. It looks good. Yeah. It looks really and, well and done. And it's not, not cheap And all, all of this is someone filming them filming it. So the actual footage is still getting finished. It's going to get put in there. So what they've done is take the 90 seconds they had and made it, hopefully when it's done, like maybe 120 seconds. But that next 30 seconds that they splice in there is going to look like, you know, multi-million dollar quality horror movie. Big budget. Big budget on a low budget. incremental step, and we hope to get a lot more. Over over time, and we're not going to put them on a schedule, but Scott Frizzell, thank you very much for talking to us, and we hope to still talk to you, and this thing comes to completion, and we will be celebrating the release of Moggy Creatures on Amazon, iTunes, etc., so forth, just like we did back in October. Prequel Strikes Back. About two years ago, as we mentioned earlier, we talked to Bradley Weatherholt, and this was back when he was in a very early stage. Oh, very now, he's done, he's done yeah. like a very personal sort of documentary about defending the the prequels. Is it well in Star de- Wars. defending? I mean, well, again, not to spoiler alert the interview, but maybe not defending or just kind of explaining how the prequels fit into the overall Star Wars universe. Um, uh, as you know, you've been in the middle of me yeah. and Marky e getting into it about the prequels, and yes. and yes. our buddy's not here right now to defend. But <laughs> as you know, so perfectly you know, <laughs> I am not a fan of the prequels. Marky e is, I think. Well, I'm not going to speak for you, but you know, uh, it could be a bit of a a bit of a hot button issue for the uh, Saturday morning yeah. serial crew. Um, but this movie it doesn't... Is, it's as close to controversy as our people get. Yeah, and, you know, it, 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 yeah, we we almost go to blows sometimes, you know, raising some it, fists. It and, almost uh, threatens to split the tribe. But right. no, I, I don't think it's that big a deal. Because I think when you say you're not a fan of the prequels, I think you're kind of exaggerating it because I think you enjoy them. I enjoy Star Wars. I enjoy the mythos, the universe, the characters, but overall, I mean, 
I definitely like the Holy Trilogy better, uh, 100%. And, mm. you know, but again, you know, in, in this film, they explore so many aspects, you know, compared the prequel to the, you know, to the original tri- trilogy. Again, I call the Holy Trilogy. And, uh, <laughs> and I do love yes. that. Yes. <laughs> but, um, and, and it, it's so nuanced. There's so many different levels. But um, I just like the way that they discuss it, and they just lay it out. Just go, hey, let's just have a discussion. Let's talk to fans. Let's talk to other filmmakers. Let's, you know, talk to uh, people about the music, the plot lines. And it's very storied, a lot of little checklist items yeah. that they talk about, and it's uh, it's a fun ride. Yeah, and and this is an example of a project that is finished. We paid money for it. We did. We, I accidentally, uh, mistakenly, apparently, left the room for a moment, and Marquis e not just rented this movie, oh, but paid it. full price yeah. on my Amazon account. I was sitting right next to which, Which is still fine with me, right. by oh, the way. Oh, yeah. But I, I, that's the difference between filming some stupid little video on a camcorder when you're growing up with your friends... And then figuring out a way to edit it with a VCR like I did when I was young is great. But that just leaves a copy of it on a VHS tape. But we live in a different world now. It's a digital where world, if you Jack. can get it finished and working with, yeah, the revolution of digital technology where you can actually, with a laptop and your freaking phone at this point, put together something that is passable and at least people can watch it and say, Oh, this is not give me a headache trying to follow. Yeah. And and it's quality and you could go out and with star Wars, people want to talk about it. Hello, this, this is us. We, we, yeah. we spend many an hour listeners, as you know, talking about star Wars. And so this guy could go out on a micro budget as, micro you'll, budget. as you'll come to learn yeah. um, and, and film this and figure it out. And it's with that passion and that zeal and that just that 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 curiosity uh, to you know talk about a pretty conscientious, uh, pretty uh, uh, inflammatory subject about yeah. the prequels. Yeah. I mean, I'm on Star, oh, Star Wars. Oh, geeks. we, we mean, risk starting a civil war in, yeah, in the Comic Con culture time. just by recording this, and we recognize that. Yeah. But we hope we can come together. And part of that is well, Bradley Weatherholt, the guy behind this entire project. This micro budget documentary. Micro budget. He, he he's a he's a great guy. He's a great sport. We talked to him two years ago when he's getting this off the ground. We just spoke with him again recently. Now that it's actually a finished product, the fact that he can make something called a micro budget. This is not just an air quote thing. This qualifies because of the amount of money that he had as micro budget documentary. Using this format in a very personal subject, he was able to – I mean, his VHS tape is now available to anyone with the internet with a connection to Amazon. Yeah, and it's it, – And during Celebration, I believe he's going to release it on iTunes as well. Yeah, it's going to coincide probably with Celebration. probably ten other ways that you can get it. Oh, there's plenty, yeah, just plenty of ways. Just on the internet. And you just throw a couple of bucks down, and you could just see this passion project from a Star Wars fan. Mm-hmm. And, and and again, it's not a propaganda piece. It's not trying to convince and that you is true. that the you prequels have to are take this our or word that. for it. I guess at this point, because it very much sounds like it. But this guy does not at one point 
like stop everything and say, okay, this is why you are all wrong about Jar Jar Binks. Right. Yeah, listen up, Every argument the that he makes is perfect. like a, holy shit, I never would have thought of that. Yeah. And I don't want to spoil any of it. And it is, if you just did not enjoy watching the prequels, this will not make you enjoy it, but it will honestly, I bet, make you want to watch them again through a different lens. Like, I didn't your notice eyes. that. I didn't notice that. I didn't notice that. It's worth watching again. <clears throat> I don't think you're going to move the needle in the long run. I'll just come out and say it. Agreed. I don't think it's everyone's going to wake up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night and go, oh, now I love the prequels. Totally. I love Jar Jar. But if you liked the prequels, this might make you like them a little bit more. If you didn't like the prequels because of reason X, Y, and Z, this will give you reason A, B, and C to actually overlook X, Y, and Z, maybe. I don't, you know what? I don't know why I'm wasting everyone's time. Let's let's hear from my opinion. Let's hear from the source. Magic interview machine. Bring us on some Bradley Weatherholt again, won't you? Uh, Bradley Weatherholt, we just saw the movie a couple of days ago, the finished product. Uh-huh. Uh, I can't believe it's the same project that we were talking about, what, like a year and a half ago or something? Two, at least two is when we had you on, yeah. I think. Yeah, probably. Yeah, since we talked about it, yeah, it has to be close to two now, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. It's, well, hold on. I think it's important we nail the date down, everybody. Let's just let's hit the brakes here. We could easily go to our phones and check this out, but no, we're not. We're oh, gonna yeah. This out. We're, we're going we're gonna to muscle through this. I think um, I know that it was... Happy Internet, where we have our shaky memories. <laughs> it, was, um, it was before Comic-Con of 2015, because I remember you went to that Comic-Con. <laughs> May of 2015 is when we had Bradley on last time, and so was... so two years later, uh-huh. and uh, and and f- and for those of you who keep up with the indie movie scene, uh-huh. which is burgeoning and done for just about scraps, you two years is is nowhere even near the lifetime like that it takes to make a movie like that. But you are right now, you have a bona fide finished product yeah. out there that people are paying money for. This has got to feel like a victory in and of itself, even if no one changes their minds about the prequels. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, we can't we can't guarantee that they'll change their minds, but we can guarantee that we made the film. That's an that's an yeah, accomplishment. The film <laughs> you got there for ninety nine. We got that. No one can ever take it away from you. <laughs> well, that's. I mean, I mean, that's all I can do, right? So we didn't want. I never ever wanted to get into the whole. Uh, media chlorians are cool, or, or you know, some kind of uh, really uh, weak argument. <laughs> we did. Yeah. We, we were really focused the entire time on on presenting as objective a case as we could for the prequels and really George Lucas too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think, I mean, I, I just tried to lay it out like. Like it was kind of experienced to me because I, I didn't always like the prequels, and it it was as I figured that stuff out coming back to it um, that you know I, I'm not you know like the the prequels aren't I don't think they're like Citizen Kane or anything, but I do think there's more there than than meets the eyes, and despite maybe because of all of its flaws, it does represent. More of a Star Wars movie than most people give credit for, um, especially especially since their perspectives are usually a little bit 
um, how do I say this? Usually, they usually bias towards uh, the original trilogy just because of age. And I think they uh, tend to be well, a little. Well, but then then consider it thusly. If perhaps what you're really speaking to are the people who are so extreme that they say, "No, not not in my galaxy of far far away. Uh-huh. I will not I will not accept these into my personal canon." <laughs> and I feel like well, by and large the audience still we accept that all the events of the prequel happened. And then and then what what Marquis might call a prequel's hater says, "But it was lame." Yes, I actually was going to And it was flat and it was a failed attempt to do what he did the, with the first three oh, movies. I and I, what? I I, I, I'm not saying that I feel that way, because I think you do make a point when you see a movie as a kid. Yeah. You are, you see it through a much different lens mm-hmm. than when you go in with these kinds of uh, high ideas. But yeah. what what do I really, really, and I think by and large the viewing public really, really likes the newest Star Wars movies. I mm-hmm. haven't gone back in a time machine. How does that, how do I get that excited again about those when it didn't quite hit that gear with the prequels? Well, I think the film really kind of touches on that. And, you know, we're not going to spoil the film here. I think we, you know, you guys should go get it. Uh, we, we ended up, uh, we got it on Amazon Prime. Uh, you can own it for only 10 bucks. So Graham Shea here bought it for 10 bucks last night uh, or a couple of days ago. Um, and uh, um, it's totally worth it. And you can go back for as many viewings as you want to if you're doing some research. But one of the things um, that I think you guys even kind of talked about was, in the film, somebody actually said that, that there's probably going to be somebody who was who was a kid when they watched the prequel trilogy who's going to hate The Force Awakens. That's right. Yeah, that's something Chris to Cooper. that effect. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, I remember, and this is a friend, friends of this show who I adore, the Podcast 66 guys, who defend the prequels and Jar Jar Binks to the death, yeah. right? I thought they were... Uh, awesome, amazing Star Wars fans like I was. And the first podcast, their reaction to Force Awakens, they were pissed and angry. <laughs> they were like, that was not a George Lucas movie. I ha- They hated it. Now, I've heard them many times since then, and they have come around. But that was their reaction. And I, it just floored me. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Well, that, well, good. I think it's going to help us classify everybody after uh, after the revolution begins. But <laughs> Bra- Bradley, where do you? What did you think of uh, Force Awakens and yeah. or Rogue One? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was good. Uh, I, I certainly didn't hate it by any stretch. It, it, that was, I mean, it's it's hard to escape the irony of it at all, right? Like the the people who were trying so hard to defend the prequels then uh, kind of went in with that same bias. Against the, yeah. the sequel trilogy, that mm-hmm. I mean, you can't you can't escape that irony. But um, no, I, I definitely wasn't one of those. I mean, my gripes with it are more uh, more. I, I think it did it did exactly what was needed for the Star Wars community. I mean, there that that type of Star Wars film that that kind of retro, almost not a reboot, but uh, well, it's they, you know it's, it's essentially. Yeah, I mean it's essentially episode four, but slightly different. And you got uh, it's tonally, it's very similar. Um, so I, I think people needed that. Um, 
So, I mean, I, I liked it. Um, I feel like I, I needed that. So I'm glad I'm yeah. glad someone else out there said that because that's what I walked yeah. away with. Well, you know what? Oh, the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I had noticed that there's um, – it was like this real concerted effort to show how much there was like real effects and real costumes and, and all this, you know, like real – like tangible – filmmaking you know like we're not yeah. going to go digital film we're going to go yeah. with this old camera and there was all this stuff like but purposely distancing correct. themselves from the prequel exactly. stuff exactly and so well, and did y'all buy that no did not at all i didn't yeah yeah i, thought, yeah. I mean that was that's ridiculous you know yeah. like, i mean it and as your film points out there was way more miniatures for the prequels than like just just in phantom menace there's more miniatures than in all the original trilogy yeah. yeah, and live action shooting. There's and a bunch shooting. of live action shooting, and, and the whole and on location shooting. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it, the the whole. I I can't prove this, but I I would argue that there's more uh, practical effects in the prequels than there were uh, in Phantom Menace, especially than there are in The Force Awakens. So the whole you know trying to distance themselves. It was a marketing thing. I don't blame them. I mean, if I was Disney, I'd be doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just dumped all this money, and you didn't. Not only did you not need episode seven to do well, you needed it to do well enough to where the next 20 movies that you're going to make over the next yeah. five years. Yeah, I think stay. you're right. I think so you're absolutely had, right. I mean, they had to do what they did. So, I, I mean, I don't necessarily blame them for it. But, yeah, that the whole argument that it was all. It sounds like you're letting them off can, the hook just, for yeah. political reasons then. Well, uh, we are all – feel like, like we get in no, that trap, always, and that's why. I mean, he, I, I guess I mean their their hands are tied, right? Because like, and, I don't know. It, it almost sounds like your hands like, are tied, Bradley. <laughs> Look, man, blaster to your well, head. I, Did you like the the, the Force, Awakens. The Force <laughs> Awakens or not? Uh, you guys are putting me on the spot here. <laughs> I, I, I liked it. It's, it's it's a binary answer, yes or no. I liked it. Um, but I do, do I have problems with it? Yeah, I got problems with it. I actually liked Rogue One better than The Force Awakens. Um, I'm kind of, I'm, I think I might I've be I've heard in that, that camp. from many people too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, but my problem with Rogue One, which is the thing that I actually liked the most about it too, was that my problem with Rogue One is it didn't go far enough. So it was cool that it it was a we were able to take chances with Rogue One, right? Like we were able to have all of our characters die. Essentially, we were able to have. I mean, that that movie took a lot of risk. I mean, I say took a lot of risk as far as like a big studio picture goes. It took a lot more risk than other ones. But my problem with it is it still didn't take enough risk. But it did it did well enough that hopefully down the road we can get more niche kind of Star Wars, like more uh, – Disney's Disney won't be afraid to be like, hey, let's put in $80 million on this kind of more obscure thing and maybe – you know, maybe it's darker or maybe it does something different, and then let's give that a try because I think, I think we are going to have Star Wars indefinitely for – you know, if, if it's just going to – if we're going to keep uh, digesting this – that it's going to have to reinvent himself and, and do different things. And the anthology films, they're, they're exciting. I hope, I hope they are that way. But then I hope they don't just cash checks, too, at the same time. Well, but, you know, that day's going to come, too. I mean, that's, just, that's, that's going to happen. You know? Well, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's because it points out the difference between when the 
when when we were growing up, even before the the prequels, and the and those three movies were just sacrosanct. Yeah. They were a standing monument, and they sat there like in the late right. 70s, early 80s. They were stoned. But now it's turning into, you know, James Bond, where yeah. you can expect the perennial audition, and you will see it grow and change, and you'll have, you know, hopefully they just won't have a new Luke every, I was, every six years. I was about to say but. that there will be a time where, where, that where it's going to happen, and I believe I will be ready and excited about who are they going to cast as Luke Skywalker, and what are they going to do? And you know, how are they going to spin this? And how are they going to treat the Luke and Leia thing now that we know? And like, but you know, that's a lot more like you're to. watching, you know, a, a TV show than you're talking about, you know, the Star Wars. When we could sit and spend months, years talking about whether or not Han shot first, because one moment <laughs> like that is like trapped in amber. I know. <laughs> Whereas. It's almost to the point with the Clone Wars and the and the Rebels cartoons, the ongoing the um, the amount, the sheer hours mm-hmm. of Star Wars that's out there now. It's it makes it a different game, I think. Yeah, um, and I don't know what what Bradley thinks about this, but like you know, we'll ask there, him one time. There is a uh, <laughs> allow me to uh, speak for him, um, but like there is you know I think it would be kind of cool to see what the films would be like through a different perspective sometimes, you know, like it's not just about keeping the characters alive. It's about actually seeing what, you know, a new hope would be under, let's say Quentin Tarantino did it or something, you know, I mean, that's ridiculous, but you, you know, you know, what, what if some other director and some other vision could kind of, could kind of take those properties and kind of go, you know, there's, to me, there's a lot of interest in that. I'm not asking for it. I'm just saying, you know, it would be kind of cool to see what a talented director could, could do with that. And to see oh, I'm asking you, for it. Yeah. With, yeah. Again, not asking for it. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I think you're right, though. I mean, it's like if, if you look at uh, Force Awakens and you look at Rogue One, they're good movies, but they certainly don't have a voice. I mean, the, they don't have any kind of artistic vision of sorts. Like, I don't think anyone's takeaway from, from Force Awakens is that it was like a – that there's – can you can you discern like a style to JJ or I I don't know I, I'm trying not to be too critical here but like it's certainly not it's not as if Quentin Tarantino did it I guess is what I'm saying like there's no there's no stylistic yeah. difference so other you than can't just see kind of like his stamp on it yeah I mean JJ Abrams is it's hard to put a stamp when you do something like Lost and then Mission Impossible three and I think everything he does is good, but yeah. it is hard to say. Oh, that's definitely J.J. Abrams. <laughs> yeah, but when you, I guess my my point is when you when you go watch episode seven, you don't say that's J.J. Abrams. You say that's Disney's, hmm. and and it, it's because it doesn't matter who they have in there. The studio is going to make that film. There are so many producers on that project that it's it's a groupthink project. That there's no there's no really authorial uh, kind of. Uh, uh, intent by by anyone on there. I mean, it's just group. It's group thought, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it, I mean, it made the Force Awakens is a really entertaining movie because a lot of people were able to uh, counsel and say, "Hey, maybe we need to do this. Maybe we need to follow a classic story here. Maybe we need to, you know, like." The, so it, it it works out. But in order for them to take those risks and make those, uh, you know, this kind of Quentin Tarantino Star Wars, if that's what we're going with here. Uh, they're just going to have to be way smaller budget. I mean, they're just going to have to say, hey, here's $60 million. Try to do something different. 
that's the only way that they're going to be able to get some director that can actually do something that would be different. If any time they're going to put two hundred million dollars, they can't afford to. They can't afford to be like, oh, hey, you know, take this franchise that we just spent all this money on and and uh, take some risk for it. Here's episode eight, you know. Yep. And then it's just we're, a we're, countdown we until we like but Wes Anderson, uh, Mr. Ewok, and uh, and it all goes down the tubes. <laughs> uh, by the way, Johnny Heck just uh, showed up and slipped on the the cans, as they say. Hey, Johnny. Hey, yo. How's it going, Bradley? This is Johnny Heck. Johnny Heck, Bradley Weatherall. He, uh, well, you you saw the movie. Yeah, we watched uh, last weekend. Yep. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, nice. Johnny, I heard you're big fan of the prequels, from what I hear. Oh, yeah. Uh, it looks like my reputation <laughs> precedes me. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Marky and I have had a, a couple, two, three uh, conversations about the and the prequels and where it lasts in the franchise. So it was really interesting to see see the film, and especially Mark pointing at me, pointing at the screen, going, see, you see? <laughs> <laughs> I was doing that. <laughs> well, so tell me this. What what didn't you buy? Because we threw out a lot of arguments. Which one were you, like, scratching your head? Uh, which one were you kind of shaking your head? Oh, in like, the film? Nah, I don't know about that one. Yeah. Well, even, and, and you brought it up, about the intent. And there was no firm okay, we believe he intended it this way or that way as far as George Lucas goes. So at least, you know, there was that acknowledgement, but I don't think he intended intended a lot of what uh, cinematically and, and as far as the ring theory and, and, and other things, I don't think he intended to do a lot of that. I think we're giving him maybe too much credit. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, familiar with the, the 50s Hitchcock film Vertigo. I am. Titan Sound just named it the best film of all time. Well, critically acclaimed is because of the like the Freudian kind of psychoanalytical readings of it, and Hitchcock has said in interviews that he didn't mean any of that. However, those are the interpretations that we have of Vertigo now, and it's one of the greatest films of all time. So I, I think if, even if Lucas were to openly say, "Oh no, I don't," I, none of that was intended at all, um, which may be closer to the truth than. I clearly he didn't sit down. I was like, "I'm going to intend this." I, what I think more is it, it was. Those ideas were in his head, and so when the creative process happens, it just happens subliminally. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, but um, but even even if he was like, even if you were to say no, I definitely did not intend to do that. It doesn't change that that's a legitimate reading of it. A lot of times, these like these genius artists, which Lucas is by all definitions, they just they just do it. You know, whether there's intent, it doesn't matter. You know, because that's the outcome. You know. It, it, uh, but Bradley, let me ask you this: If uh, you got, and maybe you have, I don't know, but if you get like an email one day out of the blue from George Lucas, he saw the film, and and he emails you to say, "Hey, just so you know, that's exactly what I was trying to do." I even got with John Williams, made sure we did the, all the music just right. <laughs> do, would would you acknowledge that? Would you go back and make another change to the to the film and re-release it? You mean like a special? Oh, yeah. If, if he didn't want me to, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I would make, <laughs> nice. I see what you did there. Yeah, there would be a special edition, but everything would be digital. So I would just. You know, and you're going to cut out the best song in Jedi? I hate that. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, uh, like, there's this. Um, Look, I think that there's this. There's there's always going to be a lot of discussion about these films, and that's awesome, and it should get us thinking. But what it does show is that. There is obviously a lot of passion for these for these films, even the people that think they don't like them, but they're they're staunch, man. Like they're they're holding on to it. 
Like, well, it is, it, you know, you'd like, be hard-pressed to find better evidence of that than, say, a movie out there called In Defense of the Prequels. <laughs> I know, and here we go. It's available that, now on Amazon. That hot damn, <laughs> and, and once again, talking to Bradley Weatherall, uh, well, this is, I don't you, you direct, produced, wrote, hosted, narrated. edited, yeah. narrated, researched. This is completely your baby. So I, once again, oh. I want to get back to just the art of making your own movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what what specifically, like the, the hurdles or the... Yeah, I mean, I get, well, first, uh, right out of the gate, and I don't know if we covered this when we talked two years ago, and this was still still in its uh, earlier stages, but uh, what 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 gives you the nerve to think you can just make your own movie and put it out there? You're not Paramount. <laughs> well, I, I guess the I guess the lack of uh, the, the lack of self awareness. Like I never thought, like, oh, should I should I be making this? I guess that very lack of self awareness is the quality that makes you able to do that. Because I never asked myself that question. Um, I guess if I would have, I probably wouldn't have made it. Um, I, yeah, I guess I guess that man just just. Uh, I, it's this crazy thing. So it's it's actually a, a group of us, and and my my partner in crime, Kyle Brodeur, who also produced the project. He's not not an on screen guy, but um, does a lot of stuff behind the scenes. When we get together for projects like this, it's usually a, it, it just kind of happens. Like there's this big inspiration. You just kind of I don't know how kind of ephemeral and cheesy all this sounds, but it, you do just kind of feel it, and you just know, like, okay, this is right. This is the project. Um, so that's – I mean, that's kind of what happened. I mean, we just – at one point, we knew that Star Wars wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> um, so we, 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 we knew we would have a good chance of fundraising, and if we we knew that if the film ever got – it was completed, that we'd have a good chance – it'd have a long shelf life. So it'd stay relevant for a long time. Um True. It's, it's it's all it's like an academic piece, which also makes me wonder, you know, whether or not first you were thinking, man, I got to come out and defend the prequels somehow. I'm gonna, I don't know, should I should I write a letter to BuzzFeed or should I make a movie? Mm-hmm. Or did you say, well, all right, you know what, Kyle, it's time to make a movie. What are we gonna make? Um, it it's. I think, yeah, it was more that. It was more like, okay, we, we want to make a feature. We know we want to make a feature. Uh, we know we don't have enough money to make a narrative, and we know we don't have enough money to make a, a huge, massive documentary. Prequels, the, the prequel Strike Back ended up being bigger than we thought it was going to be, but we thought we could get away with with a few talking heads and maybe minimal showing of footage. Um, but as we got, as we fundraised more, and as I was as doors open, and I was able to connect with um, documentaries, and they could kind of point me in certain directions, uh, we knew that we could make it bigger, and we knew that we could um, we could. The big saving grace was being allowed to show the the footage, um, and that that I, I don't think we would have been able to convey the stuff we conveyed if we if we weren't able to see the things and, and hear the, the, the parts in the prequel. So what we had to do for that is that was, that was the most difficult and most time-consuming part is the legal aspect. Um, the edit took a long time, but, my God, the, the, the legal aspect took forever. Um, but it paid off. I mean, it, it, I don't think we would have 
I, I don't think. I mean, you guys can tell me. Y'all watched it without any kind of perspective or any kind of uh, dog a fight. But I guess uh, I, I just don't see how you would explain those things without it. Yeah. Um, and and luckily, our our lawyer thought the same way, so we were able to to put those uh, put the footage in. And I think that's when we really started to get something. That and the fact that we we were able to recruit crew that. Um, was uh, working either deferred or, or, or for no money at all. Um, and then uh, it, because Star Wars is so – everyone has an opinion on Star Wars, it, we, we didn't have to actively seek a, a lot of things. A lot of people reach out to us. Um, so that certainly made it easier. Um, so, yeah, we, I mean, it's, it, it, a lot of luck, man, a lot of dumb luck and so, so, um, so, so. lack of support. It sounds like the biggest thing that you dealt with was still the legal issues. So definitely this was a unique project in itself. But like you said, this is something designed to be more more shelf-stable, something that's going to have more relevance for a longer time. When, when exactly did it come out? Because we're talking here uh, basically beginning of April 2017. But how long has this been out? Um, this, we released in October. So we, we had our, um, September we released it digitally and then we had a, a theatrical release here in Austin in October. Um, and then we, we expanded platforms. As a matter of fact, um, during celebration, we'll be expanding to iTunes. Um, so I, it's, it's kind of, it, it's been a slow burn as far as, the release schedule has been, um, but th- like I said, I mean, it, it is kind of a long game. I mean, it the we will probably enhance it and a- add to it, and a- as time goes on, I know, um, it. I know it. Oh. Just <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, I mean, you got to kind of cash a check somewhere. Bradley, would you call yourself a, uh, a prequel defender, or would you call yourself a filmmaker? A filmmaker for sure. Good answer. That's what we want to hear because, of course, <laughs> no the doubt. Biggest, biggest accomplishment is getting a movie out there. Uh, and the message, hey, that's fine. You had one of those too. Good work. Yeah. And make it your damn self. <laughs> if no one else will do it, you know. Uh, thanks so much for this. Yeah, thanks again, Bradley. Really appreciate it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Awesome. Yeah, there you go. I don't know. That, that could have been like uh, Swedish or uh, yeah. It, uh, <laughs> it's a, but anyway, I assure it, it's you, really well on YouTube, you can find that that actually is a Kellogg's Episode One serial commercial. Take a look. Yeah, yeah. Country far, far away. Um, <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> that of course. In defense of the prequels was Bradley Weatherholt. Uh, and uh, I don't want to get bogged down in a whole lot of Star Wars talk, 
which is why it's kind of a good thing that now Marky is not actually with us. Right. You yes. heard him there in the interview. We were lucky to get him to join us then. Uh, but now he's off doing marquee things. He's doing his thing, but his force Which ghost is behind us me. Several minutes. Oh yes, he's, he's, he's behind me, there. shaking his fist loudly about grooving to the uh, Ewok Jabba right. Jabba. Yes, shaking his fist loudly and uh, waving a, a, a fond farewell <laughs> to us all. And that's maybe the best note to leave on. Agreed. Anyway. Uh, our thanks once again to Scott Frizzell and our best luck to you. Please, if any of this sounds a little bit interesting, just look it up. I'm sure some page views to MoggyCreatures.com wouldn't hurt. Take a look. lead up to him finding out if he's going to advance. And if that doesn't work out, this is a guy who obviously is going to try something else. Yeah. He's probably going to try something else. Although apparently his wife has already said no. This is your last. This is it. But we'll see. We'll see. It will be interesting again to follow this. I love to to think that this guy is willing to work. So I'm willing to trumpet his work. Yeah, he's putting literally the the least we can do. He's putting the effort. And think of all the bullshit you watch online anyway. Take a look at something that's worthwhile. Yeah. And maybe have a hand in creating it. And then again, you're not going to make a dime, but you might help the world have a better thing in it. I don't want to go too deep again on that. So so anyway, hey, you know what, everybody? MoggyCreatures.com. Best we can do is throw a plug out there. And uh, that's probably about enough yeah. of that. Tell, tell them we sent you. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. Oh, this is enough of this. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.